Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is another episode of Talk Architecture Podcast. And in the couple of episodes that I have presented recently, I went into detail about specific projects that students of architecture had done, uh, namely design thesis projects that are more towards the real situation of community and its issues and problems. And it was referred to um, the core value of education proposal that the education minister proposed recently. It is not accidental that architecture is very relevant to society's problems and that architecture is part of the solution to society's problems in the form of ideas that are linked to concepts, that are linked to policies and theories in society. May it be um, social, cultural, financial, environmental, and the like. And because of the opportunity that it is happening right now in Malaysia, where the new government has looked at community problems in terms of education, youth, transportation, housing, and other aspects, in particular, referring to some um, announcements or um, what do you call it, uh, statements, may it be press statements, may it be interviews that certain politicians who are now prime ministers, uh, sorry, ministers, are... Um, had spoken out on. So early on, after the general election in Malaysia, we see um, some form of revisiting and reforming of policies that are necessary to be started by these ministers. And it's not a coincidence. As I said, it's not an accident that architecture is very pertinent in all this. However, I like to point it out. I like to point it out precisely how our design thesis projects that we attempted from the year 2016 with the Kampong Baru projects and Bukit Salon projects to the Kampong Krinchi projects in 2018 and 2019 subsequently with the Petalinjaya Old Town projects and the last attempt was the University Malaya campus project. These projects in these years that we attempted to 
find the design problems in terms of master planning, in terms of urban, urban issues and problems, areas, neighborhoods, rather than just focus on sites, devoid of context. Yes, we had attempted to do that in the special semester so that a group of students, be it 11, 12, or 14 students, and even five to six in the earlier years during the Kampong Baru and Bukit Selon, these students get together to think about urban issues and even think of master planning issues and that each of these sites they attempted to do are connected with each other. And there is a connection in terms of, when we talk about master planning, master planning is not just physical master planning. It's to do with social, cultural, economic, environmental, and the like. Many, many aspects to master planning. And architecture is relevant to politics. What we do now is politics. And politics is not a hunky-dory thing that only certain number of society or certain members of society deal with. It's not only the jurisdiction of politicians and lawmakers. Politics is something that everyone, certainly professionals, in the built environment have to deal with. You take a stance. You take interest into what is happening in society. And architecture education is part of the seamless connectivity on how people start in architecture right until they retire in architecture and how the architecture profession is figured is figured into all these other professions, be it a planning profession, the quantity of surveyors and real estate and developers. Everybody is part of society and that we are serving society or how much we think and take care of society and how we consider the little people, people on the street, people with no means, people with no influence, people who are just regular people using architecture, how these people are relevant as much as people who pay for the architecture that is to be built. We're not a totally capitalistic nation. We're a nation that has cultural and social significance in its people, and that these people count. And now we have a unification government that is starting to ask questions with regard to many aspects of society. In the last two episodes, I was referring to the education minister's core value on the issue of urban poverty and children specific to malnutrition, technology or means or device, and spaces for learning. That's just one core value 
there are other core values that were that were addressed. And now we also know of other politicians who are Minister of Sport and Youth who also mentioned about the use of technical and vocational education training. Facilities and schools and institutions, or they call it TVET. TVET is something, a concept that's rooted in technical schools and vocational schools in the past. And it's beginning to be seen as an important enabling aspect of education in our country with regard to the many problems that has beset the country, whether we like it or not, or whether it's own to us or out of our control. And the fact is that to alleviate people from poverty or to get people to get jobs for them or get them highly skilled. And this idea of TVET, this was not only being raised by the Minister of Youth and Sports, but also by other ministers in the past and of late. And we have seen examples of, I have personally, of a student of architecture of mine who has excelled, but was a TVET student himself. And how TVET played a vital role in him to pursue his dreams and to get where he is now. It isn't not necessarily smooth sailing for everyone. Tibet is seen not only to do with raising the standard of living or getting youths to be highly more qualified. It is not to be seen as just a poor alternative to mainstream education of sciences. It is also, it should be met with an acceptance that it is and it could be the main solution to many vocations that are relevant until now. The way we view Tibet in different countries started with just a technical school. Even the university that I went to, the local university, was a um, a technical, it started as a technical college and much of the vocational training is based on examples from the UK which is concentrated more on drafting, on um, model making, construction and there were not um, much subject to do with uh, theory or the liberal arts or humanities. But such schools, or shall we say, different types of schools of architecture, it's in the UK, there were many more that were technical or vocationally inclined rather than the theoretical ones. But now we see a different um, approach in architecture education where the humanities became much more important. It's not saying that one is better than the other or one is have a higher standard or one is 
uh, at a level that um, is more for those who are privileged or more privileged. No, it is just what it is in terms of you need a teamwork, you need collaborations, or you need different skill sets in order to make the society work. Let us go back to the initial idea of this podcast, where I want to look at a bigger picture rather than focusing on the examples. When we talk about design thesis projects, I will raise the issue of ideas done by some students on the type of building, maybe a secondary school, primary school, or educational establishment, and including TVET here, schools that are focused on programs that are in the norm and we try to ask questions about them, the status quo or the um, curriculum or the programs or the way the schools are set up. Like in the case of TVET, the student asked big questions and also why not have TVET done on a more expensive piece of land at Kampong Krinchi rather than having it condos or condominiums or, or um, high-end apartments. But on this land, you will have the teaching and vocational educational training facility as it is an area that is populated by uh, a good deal of people in the bottom 40 percentile uh, in terms of income earning in this area in Campo Crinci. So hence, the concept that is a street concept in terms for this um, TVET facility so that people can use, uh, people can enter this facility freely is a different type of school rather than TVET schools were built in a much more suburban or rural area. And it is not connected to adjacent communities and towns and cities. So for Kampong Krinchi, we propose, the student proposed this TVET facility. One is, that's a design problem for that master planning of that area. And after that, the student concentrated on making the design to fit into the urban context that is seamlessly connected to the other streets and you just come into a workshop run by a student and as a commercial entrepreneurial sort of um, setup and then the layers then reveal that there are classes or other facilities in that area. So the integration of students who are in Tivat with Kampokrichi residents is seamless in the sense that it's, it's well integrated and that, of course you would know they are students, but the way architecture is set up, the way architecture is done for this project is that it's part of the neighborhood. 
So when we see architecture taking in a more humble way of integrating rather than showing off or iconic, we can have a flourish of some sort in the urban environment if it helps in terms of identifying or giving wayfinding or circulation, uh, some sort of symbolism or some sort of um, denotation of the urban uh, entity or urban design concepts that you could vary the size of the buildings and giving it the sort of embellishment that make it um, play as architectural play that could be interesting and fun, no doubt. But in terms of functioning, uh, urban uh, entity and the idea of integrating, it is the humbling way. It is the way that one knit together the elements and making it seamless and making it relevant to the people around it to integrate themselves as well, culturally and socially. So the adaptive environment that we're trying to create with our design thesis, uh, design thesis projects in all these years from 20, 2015, 2016, and until 2020, um, 19, 20, 21, 22, sorry, 20. Yeah, the attempts that we're looking into community architecture as something that is based on what is relevant to the site that we are investigating rather than forcing our way to the site, focusing only on the site and cramming in the program that we think is right. We don't do that. We actually study and observe and find out more about the site. And we have an approach where we use group working uh, in the beginning to find all the information and data so that we can get as close as possible or the most most truthful um, picture, um, situation or condition that is happening so that our decision-making or our, investi- uh, our proposals and decisions that we make later is based on um, site context or context specificities rather than too much of our imagination. Architects have to remove themselves from that sort of practice where concocting um, or imagine something that's out of context. We know that contextual design came in the 80s or 90s and and slowly community participation was integrated into um, decision-making processes and planning and it has an effect in architecture and community participation as something that um, supported by United Nations and supported by Local Agenda 21 and much of these other programs that is funded by um, 
non-government agencies or um, international agencies. There's a lot of people first activities, but sometimes there is an agenda by the consultant or be it build, a built environment professionals such as architects who has a certain idea of some some idea based on a, a preconceived idea of how it should be looked at and coupled with the client and, and trying to what do you call it um, influence the client to adopt that idea which is more to do with aesthetics or more to do with branding or more to do with corporation idealism iconic buildings or signature buildings and yes um, some of these uh, designs they're high maintenance for some countries or localities they cannot afford some of these designs how are you going to sustain it and will you get the money to maintain it a much more pragmatic approach would be to um, to uh, look into the maintenance aspect and the longevity of the project or design that could be self-sustaining, self-maintained is highly sought after now in this day and age where we're looking um, into architecture that it's resilient. When we talk about resilience, we're talking about people, really, of how we can manage um, projects to be not eating into our budget a lot more than it should. Going back into the idea of this podcast, everything that's been said needs to be addressed by the architecture student especially in the fifth year level, at the design thesis level. A pivotal year, four years before we have established the education in terms of technical understanding and knowledge and skills and all types of projects we have explored. Then there is this the fifth year where it is a confidence building year before we we embark on the next four years before we go into professional examination. So if a student of architecture get to be more confident about the set of skills and asking a lot of questions, a project that such as a real life context specificity type of project in which they come up with many design problems to deal with and successfully design them. In a way, exploring them. Maybe some is not totally correct, but attempts will made to be challenged design-wise at this pivotal moment. Then the next four years, we will see a methodology in which they can adopt and which they could pursue um, how to deal with the different design problems throughout. Of course, in architecture practices, also of architecture practice, the commercial one, the maybe the 
small practice, maybe it's not even architecture practice, it's a developer's a company. But solving problems, you need to identify the problems. You need to know that that is the problem. And you need to actually understand it. Architecture is complex. It's not only to do with just um, focusing on how the building looks good on a site. If you're able to identify a lot of problems relating to the type of building, the area, the neighborhood, the street, the urban condition, you're able to challenge yourself and understand all those, then then you're actually challenging yourself. No doubt we've been listening to students of architecture that told us they sort of felt disappointed that the clients um, or the client that they work with in the architecture practice doesn't want to hear of any ideas, doesn't want that doesn't appreciate this their observation or their their ideas or what they're doing, you know, what they propose. You can decide to be with this client, you can decide to be with this architecture company or find another one. It's up to you. But once you decide to stay with this client and with this architecture company that is very commercial so be commercial there you go make the building work somehow there was uh, some students of architecture mentioning about how parts or aspects of that development that they're doing for a commercial architect they feel fulfilled that they managed to do the best toilet or the best something good that they managed to do within the architecture design that they feel good about. So it's one approach of not being too idealistic or trying to learn as much as you can from this commercial project so that you can be equipped with more understanding. It's not one size fits all in terms of architecture education, but when you look at the strategy in terms of architecture education where design thesis he said a pivot four years before and four years ahead is at the center of learning the cross not a crossroad but the point the point halfway between four uh, four years back and four years ahead when you think about the design thesis that way and the skill set that one is looking at to be pertinent for the architect and then you see real life projects, projects that is more context specific, like what the ministers are talking about when they're proposing TVET or when they're proposing about core values and education. And we're talking about um, problem solving and relating to policy and relating to investigations, relevance, from a relevance of find the findings coming from the the research that has been done and forming hypotheses or forming the de- uh, the design problems in order to to get to the root of the problem rather than superficially thinking about it and putting your own agenda 
then you learn much more because you're actually facing the challenges as it is, the real challenges rather than um, pushing it or, or hiding it under the carpet. So with that, I would like to conclude this uh, discussion on architecture and politics and um, how architecture is relevant to solve the problems of society and that architects are political, um, are in a political situation when they make decisions for communities or even the client at hand and that um, is very much the subject at the moment and very much relevant to what's happening, for example, in Malaysia after the general election and how the people oriented uh, unity government politicians and ministers have identified these issues which justify why we had done the design thesis the way we did from 2015, 16, right until 2020. Thank you very much for listening to this episode.